0: You're listening to the Planet Pipe podcast with Lon McDougall, presenting you the best music from the international piping scene. Is this such a thing?
1: Planet Pipe is sponsored by the National Piping Centre. Visit their website, www.thepipingcentre.co.uk and check out all the new goings on there, including the Tradition Bearers concert that's coming up next month on the 14th of October, as well as all their usual great services, including tuition, the shop and their magazine Piping Today. I'm Lorna Diggle, and I'm very excited about this week's Planet Pipe. We come to you with an interview with Alan McLeod. We'll hear exactly why that's so interesting. Just after this track featuring Alan, it's from the Tannehill Weavers and their album Passage. And this is the Coach House Reel.
0: Have you seen the lighthouse shining from the rock? where the brave young captain to his wretched lot. Thank God for all your photographs and thorn in the coats of blue. If anyone can save us now, Marie Christine, it's you. Have you seen the lighthouse shining from the rock? why
1: I'm Lauren McDougall. Welcome to Planet Pipe. Coming to you this week from Maine Island, British Columbia, on the west coast of Canada. I'm over here doing a bit of playing, but as well as that, it's also been a great opportunity to meet up with a fellow Scottish piper, now based in Vancouver, and he's a man who can, without too much dispute, be credited as the piper who introduced the Highland bagpipes to the folk scene. It's something we hear a lot of nowadays, but times weren't so easy back when Alan was beginning. The track we just played was from his time with the Tannehill Weavers back in the 1970s. When I met with Alan, I began by asking him about the immediate challenges posed to pipers in the early days. Here he begins by speaking about his bandmate Mick, or Mike Ward, and how things started back in the 70s.
2: It was was basically me and Mick that kind of invented that style, just by uh, basically getting... uh, uh, Influenced by the Irish, Right. I'm yeah. saying, look, you know what? Scottish piping is too stiff. We need to open it up for the for the for the folk scene. So we need to start thinking about how to do that. And pretty much that's what happened. Uh, I left. I played with a band called and We tried to we tried to get it going and. and we had some success, but it was still very young. Uh-huh. So what sort of time? Like, what sort of decade was this? Was this late? Oh, that was in the seventies. In the seventies, uh, seventy-six. I was with uh, with Alba. Uh-huh. And and uh, seventy-seven. I joined the Weavers, and everybody just had this open mind. And if you look back in some of the the, the mm. old stuff, I was very much into Genesis at the time, right. and you will hear that go all the way through some of the some of the the, the stuff we did on the albums. Mick got obsessed with it. Mick Ward, Mick Ward yeah. Uh, so yeah. he was he was a fiddler the fiddler with with it. the Tan and right. also with Alba, and we just diversed. We just kept on diversing and and we got hooked on it. Uh-huh. And we just okay, what? How far can we bend it? How you know? And then just and then I started talking to people like Finbar Fury and uh, Paddy Keenan and they're brothers now. And the whole thing just took another bent completely, and I went, okay, the Scottish pipes can do this too. Mm-hmm. You can bend the notes, and you can make them do this, and you can uh, mess things around. And and, and and there's no there's no limits, there's no reason for a for a limit. The only limit is what you've been told is. And that's where we went with it. That's I think that's where we basically took the gloves off. Because that's that's
1: still an issue these days. You know, you'll get your people, your tutors that tell you that's just something that you shouldn't do. Like, tell me about the the resistance that you got back in those days. Did you find it was really hard
2: to 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 you know put on gigs? I hope you've got a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was basically disbanded. Uh, <laughs> I was an ogre. I, I, I was I was sent to to purgatory for that one. Uh, because I dared to, to, to question the, the, the regime that, yeah. that had been in place for, I don't know, decades and decades and decades. And I dared to say there's another way to do it. Mm-hmm. And they said, who, you know, who are you? Yeah. Who are you to say that? I said, I'm Alan McLeod. yep, And you don't like my opinion. I respect that. But this is my opinion. Uh-huh. Nobody wanted to talk to me for the longest time and then uh, I, I joined the, the Weavers and, and we did some great stuff. We got a Scott Award out of it and people started going ooh, yeah. this is different. Uh, and then some other pipers started at Boulder. The younger pipers. And you see what's going on now. And where I left off, they're all they've gone somewhere else with it. Uh-huh. And there's not a happier man than me about that. To me, it's supposed to expand and it's supposed to grow. There's no other instrument
1: that, that, that's no. got that sort of limitation. You can slide in a fiddle, you can slide in a trumpet, and no one no, can no question that. Tell me about the, the way you thought about implementing these things. So you're, you're speaking to Irish pipers and then you're realising they, they can slide, they can do vibrato. Tell me about the way you thought about
2: um, moving that sort of stuff onto Highland Pipes. First of all, <laughs> I thought about the movements, the slides, the tools we didn't have. Then I started to think harmony right. because that was a big difference between... All we had with Scottish pipes was seconds, what they're known as seconds. Yeah. And nobody had thought of going anywhere else with it or changing the tempos and the timing, and that was, that was fundamental in changing everything that was going on. The, t- the tempos, the timing, that's, that's what actually mattered. Uh-huh. So you, you add the, you, you add the, uh, the, the harmonies... And then and add the tempo difference so you're, you're hitting on the back beat rather than the front beat or whatever, and you, and you what go back and forth, uh-huh. and it just all of a sudden you change the entire dynamic of the instrument. Yeah, and everybody's going, What's going on? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're messing with people's heads, yeah. And all you've done is just mess the tempo around and put some harmonies in. But uh, traditional players have never seen this again, a very strict. Staying away from the very strict, just normal tempos, steady tempos. Well, you, you you take you take for instance a, just a just a simple reel, and they've, they've got the brakes on before they start. Instead of so, so you've got that rolling meter that uh-huh. the, the, the Irish have, and the Scots are not playing that. They, they've, they've got this very strict military fashion of playing and the only person before me actually that I know of that I got my inspiration from was Donald MacLeod Donald pure Highland the Highlander style of playing pipes is just different Uh than the Lowlander style and they play with a much more rolling style so you, you take it's a set of tunes that I really like to play uh that the, the first battalion Scots Guards play on a regular basis, and it starts up, but it's that like rolling style playing, it's straining the notes right instead of right. Yeah. So, you know what I'm getting at, yeah. and that was that, that, that was a fundamental in, in in changing the the way I went about it. And, you know, I had all these years in the folk business uh, just gradually developing that stuff, which I had an incredible journey. Uh-huh. And then I went on to do punk rock. That changed it again. So, yeah, I mean, that you spoke about these influences.
1: That is something that um I guess is kind of... Certainly in the 70s and 80s is fairly unheard of as Piper speaking about being influenced by bands like Genesis and then punk
2: rock. Uh, again, tell me how how did that translate onto the pipe? Uh, I had to learn how to play guitar. Right. Okay. To make that happen, and because basically, when you when you're playing against a, a guitar, uh, it's playing in reverse of what you've been taught to play. So you have to learn to reverse where where you put the emphasis on a note to fit in with a guitar. Or otherwise, you just sound like a piper just sitting out on the, uh, in a boondocks, uh-huh. rather than actually fit into the band. And mm-hmm. it was. It took me about six months to figure it out. I thought I've got to learn how to play guitar before I can I can make this happen, and I did. And uh, that was a very interesting situation uh, it, going on with that just big wall of noise, yeah. uh, you know, buscock sound, and you know, hitting Loch Lomond, Brad you're putting the brakes on it, but you're forcing it at the uh-huh. same time, right? Which is completely against anything you've ever been taught, and even just before I did that I did the Afrofusion thing with Bill Bourne uh-huh. where you're taking African rhythms and and fitting pipes into them and you you're 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 moving the meter back and forth all over the place and you get to a point where you can't think about it you just have to feel it right and all of a sudden there it is uh-huh. and you're in the moment and this shiver goes down your spine <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic <laughs> yeah. you know? So, yeah, there is There's definitely that's where the, the musical energy is, is when there's
1: that kind of clash, that sort of you know um, kinetic energy that goes on. The, um, you spoke there about Bill Bourne, and I'll, I played a track at the start of this programme, um, which was the I think it was a slow air and um, Hair of the
2: Dog. Oh, the Hair of the Dog. Of the dog. I, yeah. I always wanted an Irish tune of my own. <laughs> that's how that one all got started when a set of electric pipes. Right? Okay. Uh, sitting in his homestead kitchen uh-huh. uh, well, a case of beer of course <laughs> and that's a good stories. oh start, yeah, yeah of course they never start with salad I just, I just started playing around the notes and it just started to come together mm-hmm. all of a sudden there it was the hair of the dog uh, it just had that Irish flavour to it <laughs> <laughs> it's got that fluent flow which was completely against anything I'd ever been taught uh-huh. And I just wanted to see I could do that. Yes. That's why that happened. There's no other reason than that. It's uh, just having fun. Well, I, I was speaking to the, the other Tannehill boys about the fact that in
1: that time, any sort of accompaniment with pipes was a new thing. To to actually pr- figure yes. out how to accompany pipes, never mind the volume, but just the actual choice of chords and rhythms. What do you remember about that time, You know, when you were working with Bill Bourne? How did you... Um how did you approach arrangements? Billy Barnesy. Uh-huh. Uh
2: but the sessions were something else. And you know, I mean I'd go I I'd, I'd I'd go in there and uh it wouldn't really get going before ten o'clock at night, once the bar closed. Right. <laughs> and then I'm the entertainment. <laughs> so I'm leaving there at two o'clock in the morning, I've got to get up at six again and go and do a paper round and then a milk round and he and was just he was relentless utterly relentless play it again play it again mm-hmm. uh, I, got, I got to the point <laughs> I really hated him but if he hadn't been that way I wouldn't have I wouldn't have achieved what I managed to to do I, mm-hmm. I had utmost respect for the guy uh, and that goes for both the McLeod brothers uh, Dennis and uh, and Kenny uh, I know Kenny better than I know Dennis mm-hmm. but uh They're both good players. Uh, And then the old man literally gutted Jimmy and took me away from him. Okay. Uh, Because he thought Ian McFadden had a bigger uh, profile. Uh So he said, "Ah, I'm going to move the boy on to Ian. And Jimmy never really recovered from that. I really felt sorry about that. There was nothing I could do about it. Yeah. Uh, You know, adolescent. But they were all good guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jimmy, Jimmy was my mentor. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the, the the way I turned out, as far as a player's concerned, is all because of him. The the rest, uh, they played with it a bit, but it was really Jimmy was a was a guy. He was a great tutor. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough but good. Uh. Um, yeah. So
1: let's let's speak again just about the accompaniment of pipes so we're looking back when you've got people like Tony Cuff Hudson Swan playing uh. behind pipe jeans. what was it what was it like working with, with those guys and oh, interesting. what was the, the sort of
2: perspective you had well when uh, if you get if Tony Cuff was an Arbor thing and he was very he was very technical and he, he played with uh, a knee basically a knee open tuning uh-huh. and there was no very strong chords it was all modally and it just moved around and, uh, interesting player but uh, he was offset by Sean O'Rourke okay. who was an angry Irishman <laughs> and played bouzouki uh-huh. and that had its own challenges and, and there was, was a bunch of stuff went down there and Eventually, it got down to me and Mick. We we had this same vision. They didn't. Uh-huh. So Mick says, "I'm going to join the Tannies again." I said, "Can I come with you?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll ask him. And this is before the band had pipes. <laughs> I didn't yeah. have pipes at that point. <laughs> so I, I arrived at a gig and and we just we, we got on the stage and said, "Let's let's try it out." Roy's, Roy's got the banjo going on the whole nine yards, and we just we played a number and it was right. That, okay, that's it. <laughs> that's wow. where we're going. <laughs> uh, Hudson Swan had his own sound, uh-huh. and it, it it was early tanables. It's unmistakable, and it's all because of Hudson. That it sounds like that. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's just got it's just got this style of playing. Uh, when when Les came in. Uh, it it just changed everything again. It just everything was a different sound mm-hmm. uh, when, when when that happened. Hudson, I liked Hudson's sound, and actually, I've got one of his albums in the house, and it sounds like early tangles. Um Physical stuff in the
1: in the seventies and eighties, things like um, getting your pipe set up to play with other
2: instruments, and also amplification. That's an absolute nightmare. Nightmare, yeah. It still absolute is, yeah. <laughs> Not so bad these days. I don't know, but I don't know what you use for uh, drone reads. I use rockets, uh-huh. and they're basically tuned. They never move. They never change. It's always the same. The only thing I have to worry about is a uh, uh, ch- chanter read. Yeah, and sometimes I can't control that. It depends on the atmosphere. I mean, I, I use paper files and. And it's it's all fine as long as I'm just working on my own. But when you start working with somebody else, you've got to You've got to get that needle sitting. Right, you've got right to move sure it around, right. yeah. Uh, it just depends on what what's what's been going on. Yeah. And it's like you know, we're having a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a fight we're at tonight and I'm just trying to find one of my reads that'll actually come in with yourself. Yeah. Where it's at least acceptable. But it, it, the atmosphere changes it, never mind anything else. And that's right. Well, we, we've come there's from... There's really not much you can do about that. We started this tour in Colorado. <laughs> that's oh, a, that's terrible. That's a total difference. That, that's that's, an, a, that's an utter nightmare. Yeah. First of all, it's it's bone dry, which is not good for your reeds. No. Uh, your altitude, yeah. that's going to change it. And even if you're using rockets or whatever, it's not the reeds. It's the wood that's going to get affected. And you're in trouble.
1: Yeah, My bass drone read was like that. The tongue was like that on it just to get it to sound. It was stopping otherwise. Um, Yeah, so on that note, what about um,
2: the advent of amplification, that sort of technology? We tried a a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, I actually took the the top caps out of my drones so I could stuff Sony microphones and putty them in. Uh So I'd get a a constant drone sound and I put one right up the right up the 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 chanter Mm -hmm. and that actually wasn't a bad idea because uh, the the, the best chanter sound you're ever going to get is if the mic is sitting right under the very bottom of the chanter. But that means you can't move very much. If you stick it here, it's you're gonna get you're gonna get spikes, mm-hmm. right? If you stick it underneath, you don't get a spike. The whole chanter is absolutely even. All right. Yeah. I've been used to just yeah bottom.
1: Um, I can always think of the top as being the best place to put it because the top notes are quieter. But that's probably
2: not the right way to look at it. Uh, the, the quieter are no, not quieter. They, they just sound quieter because of the the frequency difference. Uh-huh. Because you're you're. When you, go to, when you go on onto these top notes, you're, you're looking at, at 10 to 16k, where when you go down to the bottom notes, you're going down as far down as 800 uh-huh. cycles. right? So they, they sound like they've got more boom to them, but it's not necessarily true. When you put the, the mic absolutely under the chanter, uh, all the frequencies are, are represented, and you can, you can sort that out with a board. One of my favourite artists is uh, Kevin Burke. And my piping uh, was based on a lot of the fluency that he brings to the, the fiddle, uh-huh. and he never does anything unless he double tracks it. And I made it a point to triple track and quadruple track the pipes, uh-huh. so you, you just make the smoothness, and then you intentionally just be a fraction behind what you did before, so you so it doesn't sound the same. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden you've got this wall of sound happening. It's just utterly amazing. He does exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh. Um. I also like to to, to to throw electric guitars against him as well. It's just, it, it, the sound of an electric guitar and a pipe is almost the same frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put the two yeah. together and, and then you just put a sweep on uh, using an effects box, you can separate them. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Oh, and I'll then put a put a mandolin on top of that, yeah. and then all of a sudden you you're, you're talking. You're one of the best rhythm players I think I've ever had anything to do with. I'm trying to remember what his name was. And I, I, I was at the Winnipeg Festival, and I was I had an an hour workshop to do on my own. How am I going to do this? How am I going to keep an audience interested with a set of bagpipes for an hour? <laughs> and think what his name is. It was his uncle I got involved with. And I said, uh he's a fiddle player too. I said, uh, any chance of joining me and he he got his his acoustic electric guitar. And the two of us just sat down. We just basically took the roof off a tent. And it was just absolutely impromptu. It was fantastic. His his rhythm playing was incredible. Unbelievable. Dave uh, is Dave Mackay is McIsaac. it right. Uh, oh. Dave Mackay. At uh, the best impromptu I'd ever done uh-huh. uh, on a professional stage. just The guy was unbelievable. No matter what you threw at him, he just, there yeah, he was.
1: <laughs> well, Alan, listen, thank you so much. You're more than welcome. It's to, been great talking to you. So we're going to play out with a, a track from yourself uh, with the Tannehill Weavers. It's, um, it's a track called Mary Christine. Can you tell us about that before we play it? Marie Christine.
2: Marie Christine. Uh, oh, yeah, that was uh, that that whole thing started. Uh, that that was our, our, our uh, divergence, basically, where we were trying to get more uh, North American and so on and so forth. Marie Christine was written by uh, a Canadian composer, and uh, I took a version of uh, of a tune. I can't remember its actual name because I've done it for a long time. And changed it around a bit. So when it's a version of something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's why we got involved with that. Uh, one more thing, just before we, we, we come off. At some point, if you go on YouTube, take a look at uh, Clash of the Tartans by the Real Mackenzies, and you'll find. The 14th number in that album, uh, it's just called MacLeod, and it's just me. Right. Uh, yeah, it was it's a tribute to me, basically. Cool. From, from a bunch of guys I used to work with. I was blown away when I saw it. And it's uh, my version of the Terror Time uh, second time round.
1: And thanks again to Alan MacLeod for that chat. And let's hear that track that Alan spoke about from the real Mackenzie's. This is from their album Clash of the Tartans and it's a track called *McLeod*. Thanks again to Alan McLeod for that interview. Let's play out with something pretty cool. It's a recording of a Gordon Duncan tune played by Adam Sutherland and Hamish Napier. It's from their project Nay Plans, and they've just released a new CD, and that's their second release. The difference with these guys are, well, the clues in the title, there are actually no plans. The guys book a venue, get an audience and play. Even the tunes aren't ever chosen until the actual playing at the gig. It makes for some really cool listening, some cool improvisation, and some real danger in the recordings. Let's play out now with Adam and Hamish, and it's a Gordon Duncan tune called Jock Brown's 70th. If you want to find out about those guys, just visit their website, www.naeplands.com.